So we're going to continue our series, The Heart of Worship, amen, and, and, and we're going to be uh, looking at what worship is and what it looks like, and, you know, we're going to get to the heart of worship, you know, and also, you know, praise God for it. Um, Brother Manny did a, a, a message last week on humility and, and concerning uh, um, worship, and an excellent message really ministered, and, and tonight I'm going to continue on. Um, we're, the scripture we're using in this series is, is, is a story about the woman, and in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 uh, it tells the story of this woman who, who comes in uh, and, and begins to minister and begins to, 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 to actually worship Jesus. And in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. It says, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And we're gonna, when, I, when I mention this woman, we're going to be talking about her throughout the, you know, throughout the message. So anytime I make reference to she or this woman, this is who I'm talking about. I'm talking about this woman here. So a woman that, that lived in town, uh, who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus uh, was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, she, she was weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Imagine that. She's crying. She begins to, she's crying so much that she's wetting Jesus' feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on his feet. It says, when the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was truly a prophet, he would have known who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He goes out and just straight out calls her a sinner. Jesus answered him and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay it back, so he forgave the debts of both. And he asked him this question, now which of them would love more? Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And he says, you have judged correctly, Jesus told him. Then he turned towards the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me water for my feet. He says, I came into your house, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this, even, who, is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So tonight we're going to focus in on this woman and look at her act of worship and what she did. So as we see this, we can see how her emotion led to worship. And this is why I titled this this morning, how her emotion led her to worship. The first thing I want to look at tonight is this woman was called an outcast. You know, when you look at an outcast, an outcast is someone who's rejected. They're basically cast out. Uh, they're looked down on. They're rejected from their own families, their own home, or even society. You know, come almost, almost call that cancel culture nowadays. But they're rejected. They're called outcasts. They just don't fit in. And as a result of being an outcast, it leads them to a life of isolation. They begin to separate themselves. They begin to become alone. It says here in verse 37, and it talks about this woman. It doesn't give her a name, but it says a woman in that town who lived a sinful, other uh, translations said she was immoral or a sinful woman. 
This is the title, this is the label that she was given. In verse 39, it says, when the fairy who invited Jesus, he said to himself, this man were a prophet, he know who was touching his feet and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This woman was labeled as an outcast. The names she was given by the people, that she was a sinner, she was an immoral uh, person. I'm sure when she arrived there at this dinner party, they're probably saying, what is she doing here? Why is she here? But we look in the Gospels and you see how Jesus always encountered those that were labeled. They gave her, there were people who called them, they were outcasts. They were labeled, they had names for them. And verse one we wanna look at is John chapter five and verse one. After Jesus returns to Jerusalem, he arrives at the Pool of Bethesda. And what the Pool of Bethesda was is there was crowds of sick people there. There were the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And they would lay on the porches and what they would do is it says that they would wait for the moving of the water, the stirring of the water. And in one of the translations it says, for an angel of the Lord came from the time to time and stirred the water, that the water would get stirred up. And it says the first person to step into the water when it was stirred was healed of their disease that they had. So as the water would get stirred, it would happen from time to time that the water would stir up. Those that were sick, those that were lame, they said the first one that would get into the water, they were healed from their sickness. There was a man there who had been sick for 38 years, a 38-year-old 38, 38 man, or no, he'd been sick for 38 years. And Jesus saw him, and he knew that he was there for a long time. And Jesus asked him this question. He says, would you like to get well? Jesus sees him. He's there. He knows he's been sick for a very long time. And he asked him, hey, would you like to get healed? Would you like to be well? And the man answered, and he says, I can't, sir. He says, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone always gets there ahead of me. This man is basically saying, I have no one. I have no family. I have no friends. I have no one to help me to get into the water. You know, he might in his heart, maybe he felt like, you know what, I've just become a burden to these people. As I was looking at this, it really got to me because I have a son. Many of you know my son have a special sons with special needs, and he's going to be 36 this year. And I just looked at this, and I'm thinking in my life, I think, you know, I'm always... My always concern is when me and my wife are gone because I always tell people, you're gonna find me with two people. It's gonna be with my wife or my son, Matt. That's the only two people you always see me with. And it's either, and then it's always me and my wife and Matt. He always has to tag along with us, amen? We go on dates and he goes with us, amen? Praise the Lord. Yeah, I call, I call him his, her bodyguard, amen? But I think about this. I think that as I always, you know, and in my mind, I always gotta, you know, and it's a worry at times that, you know, what's gonna happen to him when we're gone? And I know I have my sons, my other sons, and I always, you know, I've always prepared them that, hey, you're going to take care of your brother because I've set up Matt. Matt's going to be set up. Eh? Amen. So any sisters, you're looking for a brother that's going to be set up, brother Matt. But I always worry about this, you know, and I just imagine when I seen this, how it says that this man had no one, that this man had a disability, this man had a sickness, and he had no one. He was an outcast. Maybe he became a burden to his family. But Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And it says instantly that man was healed. We look at Luke chapter 8, and it says that they arrived to the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. And Jesus was climbing out of the boat, and a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. We understand the story. This man, they called him Legion. He was possessed by many demons. It says he was, uh, for a long time, this man was homeless. Again, we talked about the definition of an outcast, and one of the, the definitions is that they become isolated because they've cast off. People shun them. They push them away. And it says this man had been homeless for a very long time. He was naked and living in the tombs outside the town. He was even outside the town. 
Basically, you look at this man as someone who was abandoned, who was cast off. We see the story, and, and you can look at that in, in, in Luke chapter 8, the rest of the story where Jesus comes, and he, 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 he delivers him. He sets him free from his demons, and he's completely set free. The Bible talks about how he was you know, sitting there clothed in his right mind. And in verse 39, it says, The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home. He says, Go back to your family. Go back to the ones that just basically cast you away. He said, go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. So he went through all the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. Next person we look at is in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. He says, a man with leprosy came and knelt at the front of Jesus, begging him to be healed. It's a man with leprosy. He comes to Jesus, begging him to be healed. And he says, if you're willing you can heal me, you can make him clean, make me clean. You look at people with leprosy, they were basically outcasts. Um, you know, they, they were, they had to basically dress in a certain way just so they can be identified as an outcast. They'd have to wear torn clothes, they'd have to keep their hair unkept, uh, they would cover the lower part of their face, and if anybody came near them, they'd have to announce unclean, unclean, so that people know that they were a person with leprosy. It says that they were considered unclean, that they had to live outside the camp. Again, we talk about isolation. Talk about being cast out, being alone, being on their own. And if someone touched them, they were considered to be unclean also. So we see as he comes to Jesus, and he's asking Jesus, and it says that he's begging Jesus to be healed. And Jesus, in verse 41, he says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved. Jesus' heart went out to this man. And it says, remember, anyone that touches a leper, someone with leprosy, they're considered unclean. But it says that Jesus reached out and touched him. He says, I am willing. And he said, be healed. He said, instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Jesus sent him on his way with a certain warning. Don't tell anyone. But the man went and spread the word proclaiming what Jesus had done. And the crowds, even greater crowds, had come about Jesus. We look at the next person here in Mark chapter 5. And it's the woman with the issue of blood in verse 5. Um, verse 25, I'm sorry. Um, Mark 5, verse 25. Again, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years. This woman had an issue of blood. She was constantly bleeding for 12 years. And it says that she had suffered a great deal from many doctors. It says that over the years she spent everything she had to pay for them. It says everything, this woman spent everything she had to be healed, and it says that she got no better, but she even got worse. She's basically probably being taken advantage from these doctors that said, oh, we can help you, we can heal you, but it says that she got worse and worse, and so for 12 years, she had this issue of blood. You look at Leviticus, Leviticus, it talks about the woman with the discharge for many days, and it says that she will be considered unclean. It says that whatever she sits on, whatever she lays on, it says those things shall also be considered unclean. So if anybody touches the chair she's sitting on or sitting on the bed she's sitting on, they were considered unclean also. They, if they even touched her, they were considered unclean. They would have to wash their clothes, bathe in water, and stay unclean until evening. So we see how basically you look at this woman. She was probably isolated too because People looked at her as unclean. She had, you know, she had this issue of blood that's constantly bleeding for these 12 years. So she's probably on her own because it says that she spent all that she had. It doesn't say all the money that the family had, but it was her own money that she had spent. So it gives you the picture of isolation again in Mark 5, 27. And again, she, she 
the crowds are gathering around Jesus. They're pressing in. And she says, it says that she heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. She heard what Jesus was doing. She heard about the miracles, how God, Jesus was touching people. People were getting healed. People were getting delivered. So it says she heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd, pressed through the crowd, and touched his robe. She just touched his robe. He said in her mind that she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I will be healed. She's talking, thinking to herself, if I just touch his robe, I can be healed. And it says immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed from her condition. The story goes on as Jesus feels it. He turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciple says, wait, there's so many people. How do we know? And the woman started bowing down before Jesus and began to say it was me, and she begins to tell her story. And in verse 30, 34, Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Remember, this woman was getting worse and worse over the years. She was in this terrible condition, but Jesus healed her, and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and he sends her off with these words, your suffering is over. Your suffering is over. All that you've been through, all that you've had to face, the, 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 the doctors you know, taking advantage of you, that suffering is over. You're no longer an outcast. You no longer have to be isolated. Your suffering is over. We could look at each of these people that I mentioned, and we could pretty much say the same thing about them. You know, the man at the pool of Bethesda, the demon-possessed man, the man with leprosy, this woman who wished you of blood. You know, to all of them, Jesus is basically showing them that your suffering, your struggles, your pain, your hurts, your rejection, your isolation is over. They all came to Jesus and it was Jesus who changed their lives. You know, he didn't tell them, you know what, you're unclean. And you try to avoid them. You know what, you're unclean. I can't touch you or I can't be near you. You know, I don't got time right now. But Jesus made time for them. And the reason he made time for them, we could find in Luke chapter 9, in verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness, every disease amongst the people. So when we talk about the woman in the first story, the one that worshiped at Jesus' feet, that cried the tears, as it's saying that as he was going through the cities and teaching and preaching and healing all these diseases, somewhere down the line, this woman had to have heard what Jesus was doing. She had to have heard that Jesus was touching lives. And Jesus, in verse 36, it says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary, they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' love, his compassion, his heart for people was the reason he made time for them, the reason he looked down on them and, and healed them and helped them. This woman all this time was being lied to, you know, told that her life didn't matter. You know, you're of no value to us. You're just an immoral sinner. That's all you are to us. You have no value. You have no worth to us. But Jesus didn't see it that way. He came and he touched lives because his heart and his love for people. He's seen again their struggles, their pains, their hardships, their, 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 their struggles that they face, and his desire was to help to heal and deliver because Jesus understood the value of a soul. He understood the value of a soul. In Luke chapter 15, he tells the story, and Jesus told them this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the, in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, how he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. 
When he arrives, he will call together his friends, his neighbors, rejoicing. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost soul who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. It talks about having 100 sheep. Say, like, there's 100 people here. And I'm not going to call you sheep, but we're 100. We're a family here, amen? There's 100 people in my family, you know. We're here. We're doing good. But Pastor Eddie decides he's going to leave us. He's just going to walk away from us. Now, I have a choice. Do I say, well, you know what? Let him do whatever he wants to do. And hey, enough of Pastor Ed. You know, I still got the 99 here. But he says, no, I'm going to go look for Pastor Ed. I'm going to go find him. I'm going to go reach him. I'm going to go bring him back. And it says that, 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 that it was that one that you go after, that you leave the 99 and, and, and go after that one. And you look at our lives. We were the one that God went after. That God looked at our lives and said, your life has value. You're important. I am going to search you out, and I'm going to bring you back to the family. He goes on in verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house? Search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found the lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Again, it shows value here. It gives the picture of coins of value. And it says that that lost coin is, has value. And the lives of people have value. It's Jesus understood the value of a soul. See, Jesus looked at these and showed these who the world labeled as outcasts. He didn't look at them as outcasts, but the world labeled them as outcasts. Their lives have value. He showed them that their lives have value, that they were important to God. They were not outcast to him, but they were precious souls, so precious that he's willing to lay down his life. We need to understand we are precious in the eyes of God. We no longer have to have that label that the world gave us. You know, some of us, we were labeled. Don't believe that lie that your life has no value, that you're, you're useless. Whatever lies we've been told, don't believe the lies because they're gone. Jesus tells you you're not an outcast, but you have a new identity. And that's found in John 1, verse 12. all believed him to all who believed him and accepted him he gave the right to become children of God this woman showed up and believed in Jesus and she became a precious child of God because we believed and received Jesus we are now the children of God we are no longer called outcasts why because we are a child of God and we believe and we belong to him and we have the freedom to worship him we look at Luke 7:37 as the story continues with this woman. When the woman learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. There had to be some big tears there to be able to wash his feet. I mean, she was really there just pouring out her heart, just crying in the presence of God. I read this quote as she was pouring out her tears. I read this quote. It's a phenomenon that is unique to humans. Crying is a natural response to a range of emotions, from deep sadness and grief to, to extreme happiness and joy. 
So there could be tears of sorrow, tears of sadness, tears of grief, but there also can be tears of joy and happiness. This woman's emotions brought her to tears, whether they were tears of sadness, brokenness, despair, but soon these tears would become joys and, and, and eventually would turn to worship. See in Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. It gives us a picture that, yes, we are going to face some trials. We're going to have some times where we're going to be crying out to God, and, and we're going to be going through some struggles. And, it's, you know, and, and it doesn't say, oh, it's going to just happen one night and enjoy it, but it gives us a picture this is a season that we may go through, that sometimes we're going to go through seasons of struggle and pain where we're crying tears and we're crying out to God, he says, but the joy will come in the morning, that it's a temporary thing, and as we hold on and trust God, the joy will come in the morning. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary. Carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble, gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear. My burden I give you is light. Jesus says, if you're weary, if you're tired, you're carrying burdens, you're struggling, he says, I'm going to give you rest. And this is exactly what happened to this woman as she came to Jesus Again, she's being called a sinner. She's being called an immoral woman, a sinful woman, just being put down and, and just criticized. But she found rest for her soul. Her burdens were lifted, and her life had changed. And as her life changed, she was able to worship for all to see. The, very, the Pharisee who invited him saw this. Again, it's talking about the Pharisee. Sees her worshiping Jesus as she's you know, washing his feet with her tears and wiping them off with her hair. It says, the Pharisee who invited Jesus into his house saw this and said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman he, and she is. Again, he says that she's just a sinner. But see, Jesus' response, he begins to defend this woman's act of worship. You look at it, you see that Jesus begins to defend her. Then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house and you gave me no water for my feet. He says, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He begins to say, you did nothing for me, but this woman comes in and she begins to wash my feet with her tears. He says, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. She's bowed before the king and she's bowed before Jesus. She's washing his feet. She's kissing his feet. There's just something going on in her life. She's overwhelmed with emotion. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Jesus begins to point out his attitude towards this woman. Simon the Pharisee was looking down and criticizing what she was doing. It was basically just a self-righteous attitude. You know, what is she doing? Who is she? She's a sinner. She shouldn't be touching you. You know, he must not be a prophet. He would know. And he begins to criticize what she's doing. Little did he realize that she was worshiping the king of kings. Little did she know that she was at the feet of the king of kings and she's beginning to worship him. And it didn't matter who was there. It didn't matter who was watching. It didn't matter what the Pharisees said or thought of her. She was going to worship Jesus for all to see. And it still inspires us today. That that record today, that we can read that and see, man, this woman, she came to Jesus. She began to worship at his feet. She poured out her heart. And we can read that and see, man, that inspires us to be able to worship him. We see Jesus having to deal with this same attitude, this self-righteous attitude of the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 5, a few chapters before, uh, chapter 7, Luke chapter 5. 
In verse 30, but the Pharisees again and the teachers of the law complained bitterly to the disciples about his eating with such notorious sinners. It's just like, man, they, they can't even name them out. They got to call them you know, just the worst of the worst. You bunch of notorious sinners. Why is Jesus with all these heathen, these notorious sinners? Jesus answered them. He says, is it the sick who need a doctor, not those in good health? He says, my purpose is my purpose. This is Jesus' purpose is to invite sinners to turn from their sins not to spend my time with those who think themselves already good enough. Another translation said, I didn't come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance, those that are called the outcasts. I came for those that were in need of a savior. See, this woman entered into this dinner with a purpose. She wasn't invited. You know, everybody looked down on her, so I, I guarantee she wasn't on the guest list. You know, I see the, the you know, stories of people, they, they go into, try to get into a place and there's not, their name's not on the list. I'm guaranteed she wasn't on the guest list. But she was hearing what Jesus was doing. She was hearing what Jesus was doing and she wanted to get in there to see Jesus. But it's, but it, and, and, and as she got in there and she got into his presence, she began to probably reflect on her life. And hearing the words, oh, there's that sinner, there's that sinner. And she probably thought to herself, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And that Savior is here, the man that I've been hearing about, the man called Jesus Christ. She was probably overwhelmed with emotion. Her tears started to flow. Her life was beginning to change. She began to wash and kiss his feet and anoint them with oil. See, we all have different types of emotions in our lives. God, you know, we are made in the image of God. And, and God created us with emotions. Emotions are basically the act of acting out our feelings. You know, we feel things and this and that. We don't go by feelings, we go by faith. But we have emotions. And this is what we do. We act out our emotions. And we all have different types of emotions in our lives, you know, because, again, God created us with emotions because, again, you didn't want to create a bunch of robots, but we have emotions. I mean, there's joy, happiness, satisfaction, love, thankfulness, but there's also anger, sadness, worry, jealousy, and confusion. We see how Jesus even displayed emotion in, 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 in the story where Jesus gets news that his friend Lazarus has died. The Bible says that Jesus wept. That Jesus showed the emotion of sadness. Because that was his friend, and, 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 and they even said, Jesus, you're too late. He's died already. And we understand Jesus raised him back from the dead. But when hearing the news of his friend Lazarus dying, it says that Jesus wept. When the temple, as Jesus got back to Jerusalem, and he gets to the temple, and he sees how the temple's being basically turned into a swap meet. It says his zeal drove everyone out of that temple. He said he began to drive out of the, everyone out of that temple because of his zeal. He says, my temple will be called the house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So we see how he displayed his zeal, his emotion of zeal, that he drove them out. Again, we read how he was moved with compassion, how he began to touch lives because of the compassion, the heart he had for people. See, emotions are a part of our life. But as part of our emotions, the choices we make in life can be influenced by our emotions. We have emotions that can lead us either to sin or emotions that can lead us, choices that can lead us to sin or choices that can lead us closer to God. When I talk about that, it's like we become angry. We have a choice. Jesus, the Bible says that be angry and sin not. But we can let our anger take over our lives where it begins to turn into sin. And, and, and again, the choices we, we, we have because of our emotions, it can lead us to, to sin or closer to God. When this woman entered this dinner party, she could have had an emotional outburst of anger. Again, people are talking about her. 
You know, the same things about her. You know, you're a moral woman, sinner. Who invited you? What are you doing here? You know, start giving her dirty looks. She could have had an emotional outburst of anger. You know, she could have been like, start yelling back at everybody. Who are you looking at? What are you, what are you, what are you looking at? You know, they oh, what are you looking at? I've heard people do that. I've never done any of that, praise the Lord. But she could have walked in there and like, what are you, you know, what are you all looking at? And she had an outburst of anger. I remember one time when, many years ago, I, I used to work for a landscape company. Eh, it's probably about 30 years ago. And what we do is that my crew, I was the foreman in my crew, we'd go and in between jobs, we'd go find a place to take lunch. So what happened, I, I, I still remember to this day, it was, it was Pioneer Park in El Monte. There was a game going on, it was during the week, and I think it was a baseball game. And I guess it was two schools, they were like, you know, two, two schools, you know, there was one, you know, two different groups of kids, and, you know, they were all from El Monte. And, you know, we were just sitting there watching the game, we are sitting in the bleachers, we are having our lunch, and we are watching the game. It was like me and like four of my guys, and we're just sitting there. And, you know, they're having the game, and I guess it was towards the end of the game, and everybody's laughing, having fun, you know, and, and the game ended. It was all the guys, and then they all on the field, and everybody's, you know, doing the, you know, high five, whatever, a clap. I, I back in there, and they're shaking hands, whatever, good game, good game. So everybody starts walking away, and then all of a sudden, the girls, what are you looking at? And then she said, what are you looking at, snake? And they're like, oh, my God. What are you looking at, snake? And all of a sudden, it's like, and then the guys, hey, have respect, and the other guys, you have respect. And it was an outburst of anger. And all of a sudden, the teachers are trying to separate everyone. And, and then uh, all of a sudden, I'm sitting there looking at the parking lot. Here comes a car full of guys. And I'm like, okay, guys, we got to go. My guys started making fun of me. Um, they call me, they didn't call me Bobby. They call me Bobby. Bobby's scared. Bobby's scared. Bobby's scared. Yeah, I'm scared of getting shot. Let's go. But it was an outburst of anger. This emotion of having a good time and just, you know, having a great game and everybody's high-fiving, all of a sudden someone's anger came out. And it came out and it just destroyed everything that was taking place. So what happens is this woman could have been escorted out of this party if she had an outburst of anger. They could have just said, you know what, leave, cast her out, say, you know what, get out of here, you weren't invited anyway. And what would have happened is it probably would have caused her life to spiral even further out of control. But what she did is she chose to say, no, I'm not going to get angry I don't care what these people are saying. I don't care how they're looking at me, but I'm going to get close to Jesus, and I'm going to begin to worship him. And she began to just release it all to God. She just released it all, all her weight, all her burdens. All of a sudden, that emotion came in, and she just began to break down and cry. But she began to wash the feet of Jesus, kiss the feet of Jesus, anoint the feet of Jesus, because this woman had control of her emotion she didn't lash out. She didn't become angry and say, you know what? But she said, you know what? I'm here to see Jesus. I'm here to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm here to get a touch. I'm get a touch of the man I've been hearing about. And her life was touched. And what it did is it caused her to have a heart of worship. Luke chapter 7, verse 47, as Jesus is speaking again about this woman. And he says, therefore I tell you, her, and he's talking to Simon, he says, I tell you, this is where I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. This woman went from being rejected to being accepted by Jesus Christ. She found forgiveness. She found restoration because of her help heartfelt worship. Jesus says that she has shown great love as she came and poured out her heart to me. She has been forgiven. The platform can come up. It was heartfelt, the worship. 
In Psalm 62, 8, it says, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. It tells us, in all times, just trust in him. When emotions start kicking up and, you know, we start feeling certain things, not feeling, but just our emotions start taking, trying to take control, we need to trust in God at all times and begin to pour out our hearts to him because he's our refuge. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, he says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the greatest commandment. Again, he talks about the heart, that love God with your whole heart, to give God your whole heart, your whole life. Psalm 27, verse eight, says, my heart has heard you. He says, come talk with me. David is saying, my heart has heard you. Come talk with me, he says. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. I am coming. When we look at the heart of worship, we can think of our own lives and where we were, you know, what our lives were like and what he's brought us to and where he's taking us and where he's leading us to. And yes, we've all experienced different range of emotions during these times. You know, we've gone through peaks and we've gone through valleys. And I, you know, I, I've gone through, you know, great times and times of sorrow. And it's through these times that we, we, we learn how to deal with these and, and say, you know what, I have a choice to make. Am I going to let this spiral me out of control or am I going to draw closer to God? We can have sorrow and joy. And how do we react to these emotions? I don't know if anybody heard this. The, I guess it was Friday, this young man in El Sereno. He was standing in front, I guess, by his school, and he was waiting for his mom. And the reason it really caught my attention is because where I work, El Sereno's the city right next door to us. It's like borderline to us. And Brother Manny, I was talking to him, and he's the city south of them. And what it was, this young man was waiting for his mom, and somebody just got out of his car, walked up behind him, and just began stabbing him. and basically killed him. He was a 17-year-old kid. And it was sad because it said he was a, he was a straight-A student, you know, was just doing good, such a good, good kid really touched me, really broke my heart, man, because it was just sad. Me and Tina were watching the news last night and we were talking about it. So this morning at work, there were a lot of helicopters Brother Manny saw too, and what it was is the, the guy who was suspected of doing it, they, they had him in his house. They were, you know, they had a, a wait for him to, you know, to surrender. It was two, two hours. So I was there. I was just thinking about it. So the, where it happened was just right down the street from, from our, our city limit. And I was working right there in the south end of town where I was doing some stuff there. So like, I'm just going to go by there. I'm going to go by where, where, where everything took place. And I was hoping to see the family. First, because I wanted to bless the family, but I also wanted to share my heart. Because there's nothing worse than losing a child. You know, it just, there's nothing worse than that. And I shared my story. And I just wanted to share with the family, and I was hoping to maybe be able to pray with them. When I got there, they weren't there. What happened was the family was actually at the scene where they were trying to arrest this guy. Now, maybe I'll go by tomorrow, but I started just thinking about that, you know, and started getting emotional, amen. I started thinking about my time where I had to struggle with the loss of a child and began to just remember back then where the devil started lying to me. And I just said, you know what, I, I have a choice. And I just wanted to share with this family that you, God, God can help you. God can get you through this. You know, this is 32 years later for me. And yes, it still hurts me, but yet I'm going to still serve God. I'm not going to give in. And I just thought about this kid. And, and when I was driving, I was thinking about this and I was going back to my yard. This song came on and it was worthy of my song. It's Maverick City and um, Phil Wickham. 
And they start playing on the radio, and I'm just listening to the words, and I'm getting ready to cry, amen. I'm like getting all emotional because I'm thinking about this kid. Then I'm thinking about my own life and what I had to go through, and I'm getting all emotional in the truck. People are probably, man, what's wrong with this guy? And city workers, man, crying in their trucks. But there's a verse, there's a, there's a chorus in the song, and he says, in the valley, I'll sing your praise. On the mountain, I'll sing your praise. In sickness, I'll sing your praise. In health, I'll sing your praise. When I'm broke, I'll sing your praise. When I'm whole, I'll sing your praise. I'll never stop singing your praise. See, when we think about the heart of worship, it truly is all about Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And yes, we have to deal with emotions, but it's the choices we make when these emotions come in. This woman, she came to the feet of Jesus. She was overwhelmed by her emotions, whether they were, they were brokenness and sadness, but in turn, they were going to turn into tears of joy. And she worshiped at the feet of Jesus. And when we go through different emotions, we got to remember that I will never stop singing your praise, that I will keep praising you, I'll keep worshiping you. See, when we realize that it's all about Jesus and all he's done, all we can do is just worship him with our whole heart. Why don't you guys sing something right now? You guys can just sing something right now. Praise the Lord. Why don't we stand tonight? And this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. And 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 this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. tonight.